Well, in a book called Natural Church Development by Christian Schwarz, he did a survey, and he surveyed a thousand churches in 32 different countries on five different continents. And the purpose of this survey was to find the common traits in growing churches. And after analyzing 4.2 million answers, the survey concluded that healthy growing churches have eight common traits. Now there's a sense there that we don't need to read what the survey reveals because the Bible's going to tell you what is a healthy church and what the church is to be. But nevertheless, where were eight common traits? Number one, the systematic delegation of responsibility to others. That's marked by a healthy church. Two, the discovery of and the active use of spiritual gifts. Three, contagious enthusiasm in the life of the church. I mean, I really do hope that when we get here on a Lord's Day, there's just abundant joy. Number four, effective structures for new ministries. In other words, there's past created for people to get involved. Number five, edifying worship services built around preaching and worship. Six, the multiplication of home groups. Makes sense. Seven, effective evangelism. And eight, just friendly relationships. But I thought as I read through that list of eight, the first two just piqued my interest in our purpose today. The systematic delegation of responsibilities to others. In other words, that's crucial. And even the second one on the list, the discovery of and the active use of spiritual gifts. That's really our focus. In fact, I hope you have your Bible. Maybe we read it from earlier. It's still open. Look in your Bible to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. I've read our text. We'll zero in on verses 3 through 8. But usually weekly, we give and cite states our purpose statement that we exist to glorify God by exalting the Savior, equipping the saints, and extending the kingdom. Exalt the Savior, it's upward. Equip the saints, that's inward. Extend the kingdom, that's outward in terms of our evangelism. But we turn today to one of those aspects I probably would think under the equipping side, but in a, in a certain sense, it has, it has its effect in all of them. But I turn today to the significance of spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts. And one of the things I want to do just at the very beginning here is show you the connection uh, regarding the use of spiritual gifts and God's glory. We exist to glorify God. What's interesting, when you look at the theme of God's glory, it's never too far separated in the New Testament epistles from the use of our gifts. For example, in 321 of Ephesians, it says, to him be the glory and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. To God be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. I just got out of the membership class 
Dave Jackson and I were over there speaking, and we were talking about the noble purpose of our church being the glory of God, the character of God, the honor of God, the splendor of God. What's interesting is just a few verses later, in Ephesians 4-7, it says that grace was given to each of us, or to each one of us. And this is the pattern you see in the New Testament, where there's a statement on the glory of God. It's usually, not, it's usually followed up not far after or before on the use of our gifts. Peter describes it this way in his epistle. In 1 Peter 4.10, it says there, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is the one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is the one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. And so again, you have that statement here, Peter says, of receiving a gift. And then in the same phrasing, in the same verse, in the same chapter, in order that in everything God may be glorified. Now he's glorified in many ways throughout our life, but one of them is the exercise of our spiritual gift. Of course, the Apostle Paul says the same thing in 1 Corinthians 10.31. You probably know that one by heart. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. And then, just one and a half chapters later, 1 Corinthians 12.7, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. In other words, his glory never far separated from his gift. The purpose of the gift is to glorify God. And of course, Paul said in Romans 11.36, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. And then just six verses later, 12.6 says, that's not on the screen, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Beloved, listen, God's glory and the exercising of your spiritual gift are inseparable. They are never far apart. And it's our desire here to, that God would be glorified. And if God's going to be glorified, then you must use your gift for the common good, for the life of this body. Now, let me just ask this question here. What is a spiritual gift? We're going to talk about that today. A spiritual gift is a unique, God-given, supernatural ability given to you to serve the body of Christ. In fact, Paul uses this phrase, in 1 Corinthians 12.1, now concerning, and he states this, he says, now concerning spiritual gifts, the word for gift is the Greek word charisma, okay? The word for spiritual is the word for spirit, and it means to be characterized or controlled by the Spirit of God. 
So a spiritual gift, if you want just a definition, is a special spiritual endowment given by God to you to serve in the body of Christ. It is a, a, a gift, if you will, a spiritual gift that is a God-graced capacity to serve in this body. It, of course, is energized by the Spirit of God, and thus that's the purpose of our ministry expo today. We want you to serve. We want you to get involved. We want you to build up this body. In fact, Paul finishes that statement in 1 Corinthians 12.1, and he said, concerning spiritual gifts, he said, I don't want you to be unaware. I don't want you to be unaware, and that would be my heart for you. I don't want you to be ignorant of yours. In fact, so significant is spiritual gifts that one said that no local congregation will be what it should be, what Jesus prayed it would be, what the Holy Spirit gifted it to be until it understands spiritual gifts. I think there's truth to that statement. In fact, one of the ministry commitments that we have here at Grace, at Grace Church of the Valley is there's 10 ministry commitments. And we're fulfilling one of those today. The Expo is an effort to fulfill that ministry commitment. But here's ministry number 10. Here's what it says. There's a commitment, especially amongst our members, a commitment to corporate ministry. And it says this, that every believer is made for ministry and has a place of service or outreach. And then in our document, it says ministry should never be viewed as the job of the trained professionals. I mean, obviously, we have a, a, a staff here. I think a fairly small staff of what could be, on a given Sunday, about 800 people. But the truth is, we're a small part of that. You play a phenomenal role in that, and thus the expo in just a little bit. Here's the statement that you want to grab on. Here's the statement that we live by. We are in, here it is, every member ministry. That's what we want. We want activity. We want service. And we, do, we say such because the Holy Spirit's given you a spiritual gift. You say, well, Scott, when did he give that to me? When you got saved in the Lord Jesus Christ, when God Almighty, through the power of the Holy Spirit, regenerated your heart, he not only redeemed you, he not only saved you, he not only forgave you, he not only adopted you, he also gave you a spiritual gift to make a difference in the life of this church. So here's what I want to do. I want to look at six truths with you about spiritual gifts that declare your responsibility to this body, okay? Six truths that declare on spiritual gifts that declare your biblical responsibility to this body. Now remember, as we come to Romans 12, Paul's already preached Romans 1 through 11. All these things flow from the mercies of God. This ought to be our response to all that he's done in your life individually as well as for us 
corporately. I'm going to run through these pretty quick, but they're going to be bound up in Romans 12. Write these down. It will help you. But number one, every believer is supernaturally gifted by God. Every single one of you, if you're a believer, have been supernaturally gifted by God. You've not only been saved, you've not only been redeemed, you've not only been forgiven, but God Almighty has put a gift in you to build this church up. In fact, look at the language of 12.3. He's speaking here in 12.3 about humility, but at the end of 12.3, he says, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. In other words, he's speaking to every believer. He's speaking to each, can't miss the language, according to the measure of faith. Now, the subject here, glance down at verse 6, is spiritual gifts. Having gifts that differ, okay? And so he speaks about these spiritual gifts, each according to the measure of faith. And this is the language of the New Testament that every believer is supernaturally gifted by God. That means you, junior hires. I, I'm just saying you can't be a believer and not have a spiritual gift. If you're a believer, he grace gifted you a gift. In fact, this is the language of 1 Corinthians 12, 7. I'm going to bring up a number of scriptures, but just watch this, underline this in your Bible. In verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Every one of you are gifted. Every one of you is needed in this body. Verse 11 says, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. But he apportions to each one individually as he wills. He's given you a spiritual gift. Peter said it this way. Look at the next slide. As each, in other words, I'm just building my point out biblically, has received a gift, use it to serve one another. The language of Paul in the book of Ephesians 4, 7, where it says there, but grace was given, underline this, to each one of us according to the measure of Christ gift. Now you say, well, what are the gifts? Well, at least in Romans 12, that's not my purpose today. He lists seven of them. Would you look down in verse 6? He says at the end of verse 6, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. He lists at least Seven gifts there. But enough for me to say that every believer at Grace Church of the Valley has been given at least one gift at salvation. There is none of you in this room who have been left out. Every single believer in this building is supernaturally gifted to serve. So every believer has been given a gift. Secondly... Secondly, every believer is to use their own spiritual gift. I mean, it goes without saying, but look at the text in Romans 12, 
6, he's speaking about using your own spiritual gift. But in 12.6, having gifts that differ, we're not the same, according to the grace given to us, let us, here it is, underline that in 12.6, use them. It does not say that each may use them. It doesn't say that you might use them. Paul doesn't say that you should use them. It says, let us use them. (laughs) So you've been gifted, and you, men and women, are exhorted here to use your own spiritual gift. In fact, in the New American Standard, I believe it says, let us exercise them. Whatever your gift may be. I mean, certainly you would agree with me on the big commands, do not murder, do not, do not commit adultery, but somehow this command on spiritual gifts is taken more lightly. No, it shouldn't be. We should obey this command. You're exhorted to use it, and we want to help you with that today. We want to send you over to the expo today. We want you to show what's out there, and I'm going to say this to you as I always say it. You say, but Pastor Scott, we don't have my gift, then go talk to one of our elders and start a new ministry, okay? We keep growing. I think when I got here, there was, I don't know, 10 or 11 ministries, and then there was 13, and then there was 14, and then there's 16, and then last year, I think 22, and now I think there's 28. We just keep adding, but you're exhorted to use them. Look at 1 Peter 4.10, as each has received a gift, and here's the language, Use it to serve one another. Each of you have a responsibility to be a steward of the gift that God has given to you and to us. You are to exercise that gift, to use that gift. Thirdly, can I say this? Not only are you supernaturally gifted by God, not only do you have a responsibility to use that gift, but thirdly, every believer is to use their own spiritual gift for the common good. You say, well, why did he give me this gift? What, why? And I'm not even aware of the gift. Well, listen, I don't want you to be unaware of this. In fact, the truth is, our church will only be as healthy to, as to your involvement. Because you might think, hey, you come into a beautiful building. Yes, it's a beautiful building. But our church is only going to be as effective going forward as you use your spiritual gift for the common good. This one's not out of Romans, but it's Corinthians, but I thought I should put it there. 1 Corinthians 12, 7, each of you, to each, is given the manifestation of the Spirit, here's what it says, for the common good. In other words, you've been given a spiritual gift... Not for yourself. You've been given a gift to make a difference in someone else's life. And here, the phrase is the common good. It's not for you. It's for the building up of others. It's for the edification of another. It's, it, it's the word that speaks of, the, of, of a blessing, of an encouragement, of an advancement. I heard last week that one of our young men who got back from Albania was serving in our children's ministry, helping there. Because I think he was impacted that in Albania, they all serve the Lord. (laughs) 
And that one of the great things about our missionary trips is that people can come back and start something. You don't have to wait for somebody to tell you, although that's good if they encourage you. You can get out and be involved. But here, he uses that word, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. The idea of manifestation there is to make clear. It's to, to make available, to make known. And here, spiritual gifts are to be manifested, not hidden, not secluded. And I think you could either look at this, I don't want to get into the word study with you, it's of a subjective agenitive or an objective agenitive. But I think what's, what he's saying here is that you've been given a manifestation by the Spirit to make the Holy Spirit known in this place, objective genitive. In other words, as you make the Spirit of God known, the Spirit of God makes Christ known, and when Christ was on earth, He made His Father known. And so you've been given a gift to manifest the Spirit for the common good. In other words, your gift isn't to be hidden. Your gift isn't to be secluded, if you will. You are to display Him. A few years back, there was a, an amazing article in the L.A. Times. And it was about a man by the name of Peter Stumpf, S-T-U-M-P-F. Peter was a Los Angeles Philharmonic musician. He's a professional musician. And he left, did Peter, an instrument on his Los Feliz doorstep. Just comes home, puts the instrument on his doorstep, and only to have it taken away by a thief that's riding a bicycle. Maybe the thief saw uh, something on, on the doorway. Ah, oh, there's a suitcase there, so he thought. He picks it up and he rides away. There's only one problem, though, with the story. He, Peter, not only lost an instrument that the Philharmonic owned, it wasn't his instrument. He lost a Stradivarius cello worth $3.5 million dollars. Now, that's a problem, is it not? And uh, I, I just sometimes in my mind, I'm thinking, a thief. Doo, 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 doo. He's riding his bike, holding a $3.5 million Stradivarius cello down the street. The cello was eventually found by a 28-year-old nurse near a dumpster in a place called Silver Lake, and the cello was returned. He probably had no idea what he was holding. It was slightly damaged but repairable. And I just have to laugh at the story. A $3.5 million cello near a dumpster. That's incredible. But listen, beloved. It's even more incredible to think that God has put a supernatural ministry gift inside of you and it goes to waste. I mean, you talk about a stewardship from God given to you to help this body for the common good. 
A $3.5 million, million dollar cello is nothing compared to what the Spirit of God supernaturally placed in you to serve in this place. And let me just say this way, GCV, you have a responsibility to use your gift in the body of Christ for the common good of others. Let me just make this statement to you. Some churches are dead, and they're most likely dead because they're filled with dead people, but there's a lot of people just going to church and not a whole lot of people serving. Listen, it's our desire, our joy, our honor to be able to, to utilize the gifts that are in this place. So every believer is, number one, supernaturally gifted by God. Every believer has a responsible responsibility to use that gift. Thirdly, every believer is to use their gifts for the common good. And fourth, every believer is to use their own spiritual gift in humility. To use their own gift in humility. And look at verse 3. It says, for the, by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. But whenever you see the list of gifts, as there is one here in Romans 12, there's usually as well a statement on humility. Now, Paul says here, look at the opening phrase, for by the grace given to me. Now, I want you to know this is not saving grace. There is that biblically. For by grace, Ephesians 2, you have been saved through faith. That's saving grace. But in the New Testament, there is a, a grace gifting. There is a, a grace that has gifted you. I mean, I just don't know how to say that. He, in other words, grace gifting given to you, not only to redeem you, but here, a grace gifting. And Paul's talking about here, the grace given to me. It's a grace gifting as an apostle. In other words, he was not only saved by grace, but God Almighty took him and grace gifted him to be an apostle. That's really what he's talking about. Yeah, you say, why is that so? Look over at chapter 15. Let me show you. In chapter 15, he says there, and I want you to note the language in 1515. He said, but on some points, okay, watch his argument, 1515. I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God. What does he say next? To be, verse 16, a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in his priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit in Christ Jesus. Then I have a reason to be proud of my work for God, he says. He said, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring to the Gentiles obedience by word and deed, by power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Albania, that's Illyricum. He said, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Illyricum is northern Albania. 
In other words, God not only redeemed Paul, but he made him a minister of the gospel to the Gentiles. He says the same thing in Ephesians 3, 7, and 8. Now look back in Romans 12. He, he utilizes that himself, but it's to everyone. But he says, because of the grace given to me among you, he says, he, he, among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. In other words, you exercise your gift here, number four, in an attitude of humility. In other words, in this place, nobody's more important than another. Like, again, we have leaders who declare doctrine, but I'm no more important than you. And my gift is no more important than yours. And so when you're exercising your gift, there's an attitude of humility there because there's a temptation to think of whoever's gift as important, as the key. Or we begin to think it's popular to have this gift. Or some people serve to be noticed, and Paul says, no, every believer is to use their own gift and exercise it in humility. In fact, look at Romans 12, 16. Glance down there. He says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sights. Humility is needed. Paul said in Galatians 6, 3, if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. In other words, this grace gifting has come to us. It's not ours to think. Look at us. It's actually the wonder of all wonders. I think Paul's saying that he allowed me to be an apostle to the Gentiles. And when you use your gift, we ought to exercise it in humility. Paul said in Galatians 6.3, I think we looked at that, that he said when, he, when you think you're something, you're nothing, you deceive yourself. So I think why this is interesting is that some, at least in the Corinthian church, wanted the spectacular gifts. And Paul went on in Corinthians and said, earnestly desire the greater gifts. And then in Corinthians chapter 12 and even chapter 13, he said, I'm going to show you a more excellent way. And he described in 1 Corinthians 13 the way of love. And that is all in the use of gifts. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not arrogant. Love is not boastful. Love doesn't act unbecomingly. In other words, in this place, in this church, you need to have humility in your thinking. Now, humility is not an overestimation of your gift. It is not an underestimation of your gift. It is an accurate estimation of your gift. And these gifts need to be used with an attitude of humility. Number five, every believer must recognize God's sovereignty in the giving of the gifts. Every believer must recognize God's sovereignty in the giving of the gifts. Look again at the text in 12.3. He says there, he says to think to have sober judgment at the end of three, each according to the measure of faith that, you want to see this, that God has assigned. <laughs> you don't pick your gift. You don't get to go into the department store and look at the panoply of gifts and say, I like that one. 
but I don't want this one. You've been sovereignly given and assigned a gift. Look down at Romans 12, 6. Having gifts that differ, here's the phrase, according to the grace given to us. Gifts were given to you. I think this might come up on the screen. It's Ephesians 4, 7. But grace was given to us, to each according, each one of us according to the measure of, it was given to you. You have a responsibility. He sovereignly redeemed you and gave you something far more important than a Stradivarius jello. He put something in you to help in this place, but he sovereignly distributed that to you. 1 Corinthians 12, 11, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually, here's the phrase, as he wills. So you need to find what that gift is. And usually when he gives you a gift, there's joy in giving it. Because when you're doing it, he's graced you to do that, whether it's service, whether it's teaching. There's a number of gifts. But he gave you that gift just as he wills. God sovereignly gives the gifts. Uh, gifts cannot be sought. They are an extension of his grace, which is sovereignly given. You can't get a new gift if you don't like yours. You can't return your gift and go to the heavenly checkout counter and say, I don't like this. God, will you give me a new one? I mean, I, I'll be honest with you. It, just in my own heart, there's some things I have to just submit to God to. Because I don't know if always I would want to choose that. So when you say, well, what do you mean by that, Scott? When... He's talking about the gift of leadership that he who leads, you know what it says right next to it? Look, I'll just show you. He who leads, where is it? In verse 8, with what? Zeal. You would think that a leader always has zeal. No, not always. Sometimes some of you men and women are leaders and you're just sitting on your gift. You just haven't put it into practice because you're not using it and there's not zeal. So sometimes he gave you that and you need to be energized by the Spirit of God. Usually there's joy, but sometimes look at this one in verse, the last one. Just to give you an example. The one who does acts of mercy with what? Cheerfulness. You say, why would he tell somebody who has the gift of mercy to do it with cheerfulness? Here's why. Because some of you have been supernaturally hardwired to show mercy. And you can look across the room at someone and see somebody who needs mercy. And you get what some people don't see. And so he says to you, you need to carry out that ministry energized by the Spirit of God with what? cheerfulness but God sovereignly gives these gifts out 
He gives them to energize you. He gives you to empower you. In fact, um, 1 Corinthians 12, 18, but as it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them, does it show there, as he, what? Chose. Listen, I'm just telling you. I'm just begging you. We need you. And if you walk into this building and see this, you're thinking, we got it down. I'm telling you, we don't have it down. As your pastor, I'm telling you, we're 11 years old. And if you think, hey, this church is just so strong and they got just such great leaders and such great servants, then go over to the children's ministry where there's 250 kids over there and you'll know that we need you. We can't do this thing alone. We can't do this with a few. It takes an army to do this and to think that God sovereignly dispensed this, put a gift in you just as he chose so that you would be used for the common good of this place. Oh, we need you. And you know what's interesting? Look at 12.3. You say, what does this mean? You say, I can't do it, Scott. Well, look at the end of 12.3, that each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned What's that talking about? A measure of faith that God has assigned? It implies that the measure for everyone is different. And I just want to say here, he's not talking about saving faith. Saving faith is not measured out differently. Saving faith is saving faith. Paul is referring here to the kind of faith to operate your spiritual gift. If you have the gift of teaching, He's going to give you the faith required to use that gift. If you have the gift of mercy, he's going to give you the faith necessary to move in to what might be a difficult situation. He's going to give you insight. He's going to give you capacity. He's going to give you comprehension to use your spiritual gift. So he sovereignly gives it, but he energizes you to carry it out. And finally here, number six. Every believer must understand both the diversity and the unity of spiritual gifts. You know, it's there. Look at Romans 12. For in one body, we have, it's one body, that's unity. For in one body, we have many members. There's diversity. And the members do not have all the same function. That's diversity. So we, though many, diversity, are one body, that's unity in Christ, and individually members of one another. He's just making a parallel between the physical body and the believers as a spiritual body. He's just saying in the physical body there's a diversity of gifts, and in the, in the spiritual body there is the same. In fact, the body does not consist of one member, but 1 Corinthians 12, 14, but many. He says in 12.6 of Romans, having gifts that differ according to the grace. We're different. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Isn't that true? Like, like some people would say, hey, Scott, I'd never want to be up in front of this pulpit. Well, you say, Scott, do you get nervous to do this? No. Why? Because God's commanded me to do this. But the reason I said that is you may desire service behind the scenes. Praise the Lord. 
You may want to do something that goes unnoticed. Praise the Lord. You, you may have a desire for children. You may have a desire for prayer. We have a team that meets every Sunday morning at 8. You may have a desire for mercy. We have people providing meals for the Lundies. There's always 15 women that are great with child at any time in the life of our church. I'm so glad that people serve behind the scene. Listen, you may see me, but I want you to know how grateful to God I am for you. I want you to know that this church amazes me. What you do on a weekly basis, how you serve, the things you do, the kindness you have towards people. You should have seen people go in motion with the Lundies. It was beautiful to behold. In fact, I don't know if I've shared this. Did I? I, I get mixed up. There's, we're in this little wing of the hospital. It just almost makes me cry. And we were joking. It was just a little private room for surgery for families. But evidently, the Lundy's spiritual family, physical family is so big, we just called it Grace Church of the Valley. There's like 30 people in it, and it's all us, all his family. But the second day, a girl was in there, and uh, a young woman, and she was in there with a computer, and I'm like, okay, we'll let her in. Yeah, it wasn't like that. We'll let her in. So it's not a big room, and she's got a pair of earphones on, and I was watching her because, you know, we're just walking through this with the Lundies, and it's just not easy. You know, the surgeon's coming out, and that was kind of funny. Was, his name is Dr. Lee, some distinguished, world-renowned surgeon at Stanford, and he came out, and he looked like he's in his 30s. And I said, you're supposed to look like a grandpa. You know, it was just, and, and but this girl's in the back just typing the whole time, and, uh, you know, I didn't, nothing was said. She leaves, but she puts a piece of paper into the hand of one of the friends visiting. I wish I could read it, and on this piece of paper, it said, listen, I have just been watching this group love on this family and it just picked up my whole day a hard day as i watched this love be put to display to aaron and to his their five children listen you have no idea the kind of impact that you're making on people as they watch you and this woman i did and she left and i didn't i she said nothing i thought we're probably overwhelming her but she was impacted by the prayers, by the tears, by the kindness. Listen, I just want to encourage you, Grace Church, excel still more. You know, there, you, you think, well, Scott, I'm not as important as the leaders or as the pastors. No, I disagree with you. You're more important. You say, well, Scott, why do you say that? Because in Corinthians, the members vary in effect, they vary in function, they vary in strength, and they even vary in honor. So here's the statement. I don't know if we have this one that comes up. I would turn you, but we're running out of time. If the whole body were an eye, like, remember that show, The Bionic Man? Boop, 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 boop. I mean, but it's not. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? Diversity. As it is, there are many parts. Diversity. 
yet one body, that's unity. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, this is what I want to point you to, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are what? Indispensable. You're indispensable to this place. It's just what the Bible says. And on those parts of the body we think less honorable, it's interesting in the language, we bestow the greater honor and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. And listen, it's just saying that we bestow honor even upon the ones that seem to be more hidden and and secluded. So listen, every believer is supernaturally gifted by God. Every believer is responsible to use that gift. Every believer is to use their gift for the common good. You're to use it in humility. You're to recognize God's sovereignty in the giving of the gifts, and you're to see the diversity and the unity of the gifts. You say, Scott, where do I begin? Well, thanks for asking, okay? Here's six practical suggestions, and I'll send you out with this, okay? Look at the next slide. Here's what you need to do. Number one, present your body and mind to the Lord. That's Romans 12, 1 and 2. Read the key passages, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Peter 4. Thirdly, pray for wisdom. God, what do you want me to do? Four, get involved in the body. You say, well, Scott, I don't know what my gift is. Listen, go over to the tables. Go find some literature. Be in prayer for wisdom. Get involved somewhere, okay? I just think of the girl, she was a little bit of an older woman when I was in college, and I was just sitting there in the college group at my home church, and uh, she, you say, what were you doing? I was 20, 19 or 20, and I was just sitting there, and uh, she walks me up to the pastor, brand new pastor at the church, and says, I, I want you to get involved, and so the guy, the new pastor, reaches out, shakes my hand, and he said, Scott, I'm going to get you involved. And I thought, I don't know what that means. So he calls me the next week, the college pastor, long story short. And he said, Scott, we're starting some new Bible studies. And I, I, 19 or 20, college department, technically. I said, well, that's great. I'm so glad. His name was Tracy, guy, Tracy Adams. I said, that's great. He says, I'm going to put this Bible study in Canoga Park in the San Fernando Valley. I said, that's great. And he said, Scott, I got you plugged in there. I said, hey, thanks for plugging me in there. I live in Canoga Park. He said, "Uh, Scott, I just want you to know it starts next week. I said, hey, that's great. And he says, I put this elder over at that ministry. And I'm just, I'm 19. And I said, that's great. And then the next statement on the phone floored me. He said, and you're leading the Bible study. And I'm not kidding. I said, Tracy, this is Scott Artavanis. He says, I know. I said, but you don't know me. He says, I do. I've been asking people about you. I said, but Tracy, I don't know what I'm doing. He goes, that's okay. (laughs) And uh, I said, I've never led anything spiritually. He says, we'll show you. So the next, he says, you're on next week. I said, next week? He said, you're on. And so I walked in the Bible study. You asked, did I know what I was doing? No, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. So I went in and I read the passage and I said, that's a good passage. What does that mean to you? I had no idea what I was doing, but God sovereignly used that. I got involved somewhere for me and God used that as the beginning. But listen, you pray for wisdom, okay? You get involved somewhere. Number five, number six is you seek confirmation. What do others say? And then number six, finally, look for a blessing. Is God bearing fruit from that? 
You say, well, Scott, what happens if I hear this and some of you might not even walk over there? Ooh, that wouldn't be good, okay? But you say, well, what's at stake? I, that's okay. We don't have any watchdogs watching. You might have to go, and if you go to your car, that's okay. Say, what's at stake here? Only this. Only the glory of God. That's what's at stake. You say, well, you mean God's glory is conditioned on my use of gifts? Yes, No, he's glorious. He has intrinsic glory. I get that. But you need to glorify him and make his name great.